All right, I need the help of a couple of strong men, but, uh, well, Josiah and Jeremy will do. So come on up here on the stage for me real quick. Come on up here real quick. I won't make you speak very much, and uh, we will roll from there. Are any of you guys, either of you guys, are you allergic to gold? 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 No. Corn? Nope. All right, well, good, because that's our gold. Are you allergic to corn? All right, come here. Uh, face each other like your prize fighters. i got to watch out the microphone. It's poking me in a bad spot there. All right, come here. Um, so uh, hold your hands up. Hold your hands up to each other. Who's got bigger hands? He's got way bigger hands. He's got way bigger hands. Okay, okay. So here's, uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come over here. I want you to just take hold of a handful of corn right there. Two handfuls of corn, all right? Okay, now I want you to hold it tight. Okay, okay. So now... Um, just hold on to that. And then, um, so who's got more corn in their hands? Jeremy, this is really easy, right? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to hold your hands out, but rather than making a fist like this, I want you to cup your hands, all right? All right. Ready? I'm really good at this. Yeah, you were born for this one. Still holding, still holding. Who's got more? Hold, who's got more corn in their hands now? Josiah does, doesn't he? All right. So I want you to hold your hands open now. No, no, no. Hold. Let's keep your fists. Keep your fists. All right. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna pour some more corn in your hands. All right. Yep. Go ahead. Are you ready? Yep. Now I just want you to hold on to it. You're not listening to me. I need you to hold on to it while I'm pouring it. You're not. You're not. Okay. So I, I've just poured even more. Who's who's got more corn in their hands now? Josiah. All right. That's all I needed you guys for. Thanks. You can take the corn with you, or you can keep it. You can leave it up here. Come on. Leave it there. So, so, so what we see here, he's taking his with him. All right, it's fine. Just leave it. <clears throat> I don't give instructions very well sometimes. What we just saw is that even though Jeremy's hands were bigger, I didn't realize how big his hands were. He can palm a basketball for sure, right? Um, so, so even though his hands were bigger, when he chose to hang on to something, his capacity was not the same as Josiah's because Josiah listened and was able to hold his hands open. And the reality is, is that when you hold your hands open, you're increasing your capacity but also your willingness, because if you're not hanging on to it with closed hands, what you're saying is it's okay if some of this is gone. It's okay if God adds more. It's okay if God takes something away. So Josiah showed us that living life open-handedly allows us to have a bigger capacity for God's blessings. Okay? This all came about because my brother and I were having a conversation, um, and, and he said... Dustin, do you believe that we live in a world of scarcity or a world of plenty? Oh, man, that's a good question, isn't it? Do you believe we live in a world of scarcity or a world of plenty? And I realized that, you know, 120 years ago, the world population was 1 billion people. And 120 years later, the world's population is over 7 billion people. How many people do we have that go hungry? Well, there are some, but it's not because of a lack of food, is it? 
We actually have figured out how to grow enough food. In fact, in, in England, they are turning old subway lines into uh, indoor growing facilities where they're growing more and more food in smaller areas, using less dirt, using less water, and getting bigger yields than what they ever possibly imagined. And they're growing it in subway lines. We, we don't live in a world of scarcity. We live in a world of abundance. So let me say that differently. God has created a world of abundance, not a world of scarcity. And the trouble is, is that when we close our fists, this is a position of scarcity. If there's only so much, then I have to hang on to everything I can. But if we live in a world of abundance, we recognize there's plenty more. God is going to take care of me. I can live generously. If we live in a world of scarcity up here, it's all about hanging on to as much as we can for as long as we can, because that's what we think where we'll find our happiness or our contentment. But when we live in a world of abundance, we recognize that our joy is not only in receiving, but also our joy is found in giving. So if you were to take a look at your overall life situation your finances, but also your calendar, also when you look at everything that you're doing. Are you living life like it's a world of scarcity? Or are you living life as if it's a world of abundance? And this is the image that we want to talk to you today about, about living open-handed. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about different ways that we choose to live open-handedly. But, but one of the foundational ways in Scripture that God created for us to learn how to live open-handedly is this thing called tithing. God created a way for us to learn to let go. And let's face it, we all need to learn to let go, don't we? This is not a natural, or this is a natural position. You don't have to teach your children to learn how to say, mine. They get that one very quickly, don't they? But sharing is something that doesn't always come naturally. So God created a way for us to learn to let go. It's called tithing. I want to say, first of all, that we all come from different backgrounds. Some of you came from backgrounds where tithing was just naturally taught. You saw your parents practice it, and so for you to get it wasn't really that big of a deal. It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's just what we do. But for others of you, maybe that's so far away from what you were taught. Uh, it wasn't anything that you were taught in church or anything else. Uh, and, and so it's gonna, it might take a lot longer, and, and that, that's okay for us to recognize that we all are growing from different spots. That's our life story, isn't it? We're all growing from different spots. The important thing is that we choose to grow. So let's start with the definition. Tithing very simply means giving your first 10% to God. So first and 10% to the Lord. That's the three ways you break it down. Now, some would object that the Old Testament, uh, that tithing is an Old Testament law, and so it's not, um, not relevant anymore. Like, well, that was the Old Testament. We're not under the law, so we don't have to do that anymore. Well, let me give you a few points about tithing to help us to understand. First, it is actually a pre-law principle instituted in Genesis. And so we see, first of all, in Genesis 4, the whole story of Cain and Abel. Remember that story of brotherly, not so much love? Yeah, what happened is that they were giving offerings to the Lord, and, and Cain gave some, whereas Abel gave the first fruits. He gave off the top. 
And that created quite a bit of jealousy in there. I'm glad our offerings don't turn out like that first offering did, don't you? But then also, in Genesis 14, we see another principle where Abraham, he's received the promise of the Lord that uh, he's going to be blessed and he's going to be a blessing to all nations. All nations will be blessed through him. Uh, and then they come up against this, basically like kind of have like this battle scene. It's kind of a weird scene. Uh, Abraham prevails with the hand of the Lord. And there's this priest by the name of Melchizedek, which we won't take a test on that later, how to spell that name, okay? But Melchizedek, he comes with, um, with bread and wine, which is kind of foreshadowing, isn't it? Uh, and, and he comes and he blesses Abraham, and Abraham responds by giving him a tent because of what the Lord has done. And so this principle is actually pre-law, a lot like marriage. When we look at marriage, marriage is actually pre-law. Are there laws about marriage? Of course. But ultimately, we recognize that God's design for marriage is found in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Next, we see that it is a part of the Old Testament law as well. But there are actually as many as three tithes, which would be three-tenths or 30%, which are prescribed in the Old Testament law. Okay, so that's kind of like law, it's like their generosity and their taxes all kind of mixed into one, is how it ends up being because of the whole way Israel operated. Next, we see that it's affirmed by Jesus in Matthew 23, 23. While he was rebuking the Pharisees, they were actually being obedient to tithing, but they were, they were neglecting other matters of the law, and Jesus is like, you should do both. Okay? Next, we see that tithing is used for the support of the work of worship, mission, and religious instruction. And the passage we're going to look at today in the book of Malachi, uh, the people had come back into the land, and after coming back into the land, there was no temple, and they were trying to get it rebuilt, they were trying to get it reorganized, because they recognized that without this, they're going to miss out on the culture. And we see the same thing happening in our culture today, that Christianity is growing more and more in the background. We see that, that Christianity, we've said it before, Christians aren't the home team anymore. We're like the visiting team. And the reality is, is that in order to invest in people, giving is an important part of helping to help turn a corner and to, to invest in people and raise them up as disciples of Jesus. Next, we see that tithing is a floor, not a ceiling. In other words, it's not about working yourself up to 10%, but just starting at 10% is what the Bible talks about. Uh, in fact, uh, Rick Warren, a lot of you guys probably know of Rick Warren, he has several people in his church that practice what we call reverse tithing. Now, reverse tithing is not taking 10% out of the plate, but rather is giving 90% and living off 10%. That's amazing, isn't it? Uh, that's, that's a great thing, and they're able to really further the work of their church and the work of Christ as a result. And so what we see as well is that like, I, I've, I've seen people try, like say, well, we give 4%. So what we're going to do is we're going to increase a percentage each year, uh, you know, 1% a year until we get to 10%. Um, unfortunately, I've never seen anybody actually follow that pattern and get there. <laughs> um, at some point, they always hit a wall. And the conversation, you know, man, we just, you know, it's like, man, you've got to take a step of faith. Tithing is a step of faith. There's no question about it. Amen. Um, but aren't you glad at the same time, today is Pi Day, it's 3.14, you know, 5.8, whatever goes on. Aren't you glad God didn't say, I want you to give 12.964822. No, it's 10. It's like, just move the decimal. God didn't make this hard for us, did he? But finally, we see that tithing is a way of acknowledging that everything we have is God's and that we are his stewards. 
A steward is someone who is to take care of something that is somebody else's. And so what we recognize is not that 10% of what we have is God's, but that 100% of what we have is God's. And we are to be managers of all of it. And so when you, when you leave church today and you go and get in your car, you're getting in the Lord's car. <laughs> when you go home, it's, it's the Lord's house. When you're with your family, it's, it's the Lord's family. You are simply stewards. Now, don't try to tell the bank that it's the Lord's house when you miss your payment. That doesn't work out very well, okay? So everything we have is the Lord's, 100% of it. And one of the things that we find is that when we give, giving actually helps shape our heart for the things of God. And so while this is a matter of obedience, we also recognize that people can give 10% and yet not catch the heart part. But what we see in the passage we'll look at next week is that, that Jesus says that where your money is, your heart will follow. He doesn't say where your, where your heart is, your money will follow, but he says, like, you got to give and your heart will wind up being there. I've never seen, you know, uh, I've never seen a lot of people, like, you know, just say, yes, I'm so excited about my first offering. Normally, like, giving is actually, like, a kind of a terrifying thing because you're letting go of something you've held on to. You're letting go. And it can be a stressful thing. But you'll find that the joy follows when we recognize that everything we have is God's. And so one of the primary passages on tithing in Scripture comes from Malachi, the third chapter. If you go to the book of, Gen- or if you go to the book of uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and go back about 430 years or one page, you'll find it. And we're going to look in the third chapter of Malachi today. So what's happened is that back in 586 B.C., uh, the Jewish people, the, the country of Judah, basically the tribe of Judah that was the remnant, uh, they were overcome by the Babylonians. The temple was destroyed. Everybody was sent into exile. And then, about 48 years later, they said it was going to be 70 years, but 40 years later, they come back to the promised land. Several of them do. The remnant, again, not all of them, but many of them come back to reestablish Jerusalem. They start building the temple right away, and they they just, frankly, they get tired. They lost sight of, of the importance of the temple. And so then in 520 B.C., there's this guy, Haggai, that comes along. He's got his own book in the Bible, too. If you want to look at it, that guy, Haggai, he comes along and he says, hey, like you guys are missing out. You're living in your paneled houses. You're living in, you've got drywall, you know, and, and, and the Lord's house is lying in rumbles. And so, uh, so they ended up in 516 or 70 years after the original exile, as it was prophesied, 70 years, the temple is rebuilt, worship is reestablished, God's people are able to move forward. Malachi comes along. About 80 years later, and what we see is that tithing has been a tough part, a tough part for them. They were not a rich people when they moved back into the promised land. They were very vulnerable to outside attacks. And so here they are trying to survive, and, and, and Malachi comes along and is like, this isn't working. This, you guys have lost sight of what it is to tithe and to give. Here's what Malachi says. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. What he's saying is God's been faithful. However, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now, now did you catch that? These people had come back to Jerusalem, right? (laughs) They were exiles, in essence, and they came back to Jerusalem. They were the people who took the step of faith to come here. These are not a completely faithless people by any means. 
And so I imagine when, when, when the Lord's like, return to me and I will return to you, they're like, God, we already did come back. What are you talking about? And, and so they ask, but you ask, how are we to return? And verse 8, he says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings. And so what we see here is we understand that not tithing is considered an act of disobedience or of sin. And when you think about the idea of robbing God, I don't think this is a good idea. A lot of you might remember there's this artist that just passed away last year by the name of Jim Croce. Remember Jim Croce? He had this song about don't mess around with Jim. And it says, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. You don't pull the mask off Old Lone Ranger, and you don't mess around with Jim. Very prophetic passage there. Very prophetic song. I think we'd say, you don't don't mess around with God. Like if you see a lineman from Ohio State walking down the road, and you've got the punter walking next to him, and you're going to rob one of them, which one are you going to rob? You're going to get that punter every time, aren't you? Because you know that you've got a better chance of fighting him off. So why would you choose to rob God? Of all the areas of your life, why would that happen? And so we have this negative image, and it actually says in verse 9, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And so, so it goes from this negative image, but there's, there's a positive image that I want to, to, to put in place of this, of this robbing God, of picking his pocket, of trying to rob him blindly in the middle of the street. When I was growing up in central Illinois, my grandpa's farm was just about a mile out in the country. My dad's shop was out there, so we were out there all the time on the farm. And we had this old well that you see up there on the screen. It's still there. That building behind it wasn't there, but that well was there back when I was growing up, and that well will probably be there longer than that building's there. It's been there forever. It's a great well. And man, there'd be nothing better. You'd be working out in the garden in a hot summer day. You'd be sweating, and then you'd be so thirsty, and so you'd go over for a drink of that well. How many of you grew up with a well, with that, that cool water, that country water that's probably 52, 53 degrees, uh, just as pure as can be, nothing's added in it, and oh man, it's just so refreshing, isn't it? Sometimes you need to just put your head under that well and just pour it over the top, and oh, it'd be so cold and refreshing. It was amazing. But sometimes that well, it never ran out of water. But sometimes we'd go to that pump and you start pumping on that pump and pumping on that pump and nothing would happen, nothing would happen, nothing would happen. And you're like, what's wrong with this thing? This well is not out of water. We know it has plenty of water. This farm's on an old swamp, okay? There's plenty of water down there. What's going on? Well, what was happening is that, is that actually the seal between the piston and the cylinder had gone dry, and that was allowing air to leak in there. And when the air was leaking in there, it would not pump. No matter how much water was in the well underneath of it, that pump would not pump any water until you did what? you got to prime the pump, right? And so what you did is we always had a bucket of water underneath that well that you always kept full because you knew you were going to have to prime the pump and you had to water the dog too. And so you grab your cup off of there and, and you, got a of, you just got a cup of that water. It didn't take much. And there was this hole in the top of the pump 
right where the rod went down to the to the piston and to the uh, uh, to to the the, 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 yeah, the the cylinder in there, and you would just pour that water in there. And it would only take about a cup, and then you'd start pumping, and all of a sudden the water would replenish itself, and it would just come pouring out that fifty three degrees country water that tasted so good, as much water as you wanted. Now, I want you to picture with me for a minute that you are walking through the desert with about 20 or 30 other people. It is hot. You all are completely dehydrated, barely able to make it. There's no town in sight, and you're down to one water bottle for the whole group. And you come up on a well. And you start pumping that well, pumping that well, pumping that well. And the more you pump it, the more you realize there's, there ain't nothing coming out. And somebody in the group says, what you need to do is you need to use that very last bottle of water for all of us. And you need to take it and you need to pour it down the top of that well. If you didn't know anything about priming the pump, you would think they're absolutely crazy, wouldn't you? There would be mutiny on hands. But if people understood the principle of priming the pump, they would say, yes. That's what we need. You have to pour it all out so that you can have it all come back to you. Church, what I want to suggest to you is that Scripture tells us that tithing primes the pump of God's blessings. God doesn't need our money, does He? I mean... I, I, God's blessings abound, and He's just waiting to unleash them on us. And, and I know that some of you might say, well, this is sounding a little bit gimmicky. No, no, listen to what it says in verse 10 in Scripture. Not Dustin's words, but Scripture. Here's what it says in verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. How much of the tithe? Some of it? The whole tithe. That word for whole, it's a, it's a Hebrew word for all. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Pour that water down the top of the well. Prime the pump. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out such, so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. You see, that's the opposite end of the, of the thing, isn't it? Our hands are actually overflowing. It's not that we can't hold on anymore. It's that there's so much. Like, What are we going to do with all this? And it says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe. And so tithing primes the pump of God's blessings. If, if we want to experience God's blessings, but yet we're hanging on. Like, how are we ever going to hold on to more if we're hanging on? Now, this is not something that we are doing. I want to be very clear. This is not a works righteousness type of, this is not about our salvation. Yes, you know, you're in the, that, that's the way it works. No, no, no. It's what you're saying is that God has created us to be generous and to live open-handed. And when we live open-handed and are faithful with what He has given us, then He will entrust us with more. So how are some ways that God blesses us through tithing? The first one is protection. You heard that in there. I'm not going to let the locusts come and devour your crops anymore. 
And it's not always about getting more in tithing. This is not some magical formula that, hey, you start tithing, you're going to get a raise next week. Now, in all fairness, what I've heard is that when most people step forward and start tithing, there is something immediate that happens. Something very tangible that happens. But then as people increase their giving, it's not always that, that, that it's a tangible thing like that. It might be something that's more about God giving us peace. And let's be honest, you can buy a lot of things, but you can't buy peace in this world, can you? One of the things that I think God needs to protect us from is from materialism. And, and God's not going to give you more if you struggle with materialism. Why would He do that? The reality is, is that we live in one of the richest countries, if not the richest country in the history of the world. We all have more than most people throughout history have had, and yet people in our country are miserable today. Church, more is not always the answer. And God knows what is best. Amen? So one of the things that God blesses through tithing is with protection. The second thing is with provision. Sometimes it is more. Sometimes it is a different job. Sometimes it, sometimes it is something more that we just, you know, God has blessed us with several sale of houses that has just been mind-blowing how it all worked out. Like the timing was just absolutely insane. And I'll tell some of those stories later, but man. Uh, and, and the final thing is perspective. Uh, next week we're going to talk about worry. The reality is, is that so much, of, so much of our worry, so much of my worry is because my perspective isn't healthy. I'm concerned with getting more as opposed to living life open-handedly. I had a couple back in Illinois. They would be embarrassed if I told them, if I mentioned their names, so I will not. But when they were married, this couple made the decision to start tithing, start giving 10%. And then they said, each year we're married. On our anniversary, we will up one percentage point. We will up one percentage point for each year. Now, they both had, um, both had decent jobs, and they paid okay. Um, they, they drove reliable cars, but they weren't brand new. They had a decent house, but it, but it was probably a little smaller than average. And they made that commitment to increase their giving every year. They have now been married over 50 years. And they have kept that promise. That's over 60% of their income that they give away to the church and then to missionaries on top of that. And, and they invest in people who are doing God's work. They might not have the nicest things, but I can tell you that they are a couple that's very at peace with their lives. What a great and faithful example. When the Bible looks at those who are generous, it doesn't look at the rich. It looks to people who don't have much. And the problem is, if we say, man, if I only had more, I'd give more, is that we never get there. What if you were committed to being radically generous, no matter what your income was. There's this quote by Hans Brandenburg, and when I mean Hans, I don't mean this guy up here, though we have talked about pumping you up today. He says about tithing, the law is in every respect a pointer to and a prophecy of the new order of life, which only Christ can inaugurate. The law declares one day out of seven to be holy unto the Lord, the Spirit sanctifies all seven of them. The law sets apart one tribe out of twelve to be priests. The Spirit declares that the whole congregation can fulfill the priestly office. The law demands a tenth part of people's possession, 
The Spirit translates us to become God's possession with all that we have. Everything belongs to Him. We are but stewards who will have to give an account of all we possess. This passage concludes in Malachi 3, verse 12. It says, Then all nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. All nations will call you blessed. Isn't that a fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise? That this would be extended to all nations. And that's what we want. We don't want nicer buildings. We don't want nicer things. What we want is we want the gospel message to spread to all nations. The only problem that I have in preaching this message is that as of last fall, we weren't tithing as a church. I believe that we don't only need to ask our people to tithe in accordance with Scripture, but I believe that we as a church also need to practice tithing by giving at least 10% to missions going on around the world. The more that we focus on what's going on on the outside, the more that God blesses us on the inside. I'm convinced of that. And so I talked to the elders last September. I started last August. I said in September, I was like, hey, like, um, so I know that we lost about $200,000 in giving. That's about 21% of our giving from last year to this year. Um, and I know that we can't afford to hire a, a, a children's ministry position right now, and we really need it. Um, but, um, and I know we have this $15,000 payment on the new building a month that's going to come due next spring. Um, but I think that we need to give away 4% more. I think we need to tithe. Um, and I was said, kind of said that through some trembling, <laughs> and the elders all kind of looked at each other, and they said, well, when do we start? <laughs> and we started that month. We started in, in September of, of last year tithing, even though we on paper could not afford to do that. And we've been praying ever since then, God provide for us in a way that amazes us into action. We don't just want a million dollar check in the mail, although we would cash it if we got it. But like that just doesn't make sense to us. God, how are you going to amaze us into action? How are you going to provide for us in such a way? Well, since we've started tithing, here's what we've seen so far. Our giving has stabilized. We lost uh, over $100,000 a year. Um, we lost over $100,000 last calendar year. This year, we're in the black so far. Um, even though our giving hasn't been uh, where we want it to be, um, or where, where it ultimately needs to be, we have a lot of growth in there. Like, it's stabilized. The situation's stabilized, and that's always the first step. And praise God for that. Second, we received a 100% forgivable payday protection loan this month that is enough to pay for the full-time salary of a children's minister for a full year. Amen? It's 100% it's forgivable, and, and, and it's designed to help keep, you know, basically to keep jobs, and we're going to be able to use it to open another new job. But the looming question was on the loan. Here we were set this month to start repaying $15,000 a month on the new, but we couldn't afford it. Uh, and so we went to CFR um, and we said, hey, like what, what kind of options do you have? And they were very gracious to work with this. And they said, we're going to ask for one more year of interest only 
so that you can get your finances back in shape so that you can start paying principal next year. And I thought, well, that'd be great. Like, I mean, it does put a lot of pressure on, but like, yes, yes. Um, and so we sat around what seemed like forever, and we waited, we waited, waited. And finally, Kent Fillinger came out and had breakfast with Stephen Sims and I. Um, and we did not get another year. They gave us up to three years. Um, at the same time, we don't want to pay rent for three years. <laughs> uh, and so they, allow, they are allowing us from day one to start prepaying on that principle whenever we want, penalty-free, um, because they believe in the mission and what we're doing. And at the end of the day, this isn't about money. This is about making disciples. If that's not an only God can story, I don't know what is. We're not out of the woods yet, as they say, but I believe that we're headed in the right direction. And just as we, we as the leaders felt like it was so important for us to set this example into a base scripture, so now we say, how will you partner with us? How will you partner to help further the gospel message here? Because God is up to something great here. I'm convinced we're just seeing the first fruits of it. And it's something good and something deep that is going to see, we're going to see transformation in our community and in the lives of our neighbors. So what does it look like for you to take a step of faith? What does it look like for you to let go and to cup your hands and say, God, everything I have is yours. Father, we come as a people who naturally try to hang on instead of live life open-handedly. And Lord, we just pray your blessing upon us now as we strive to let go and to, to let you. Lord, we recognize everything we have is of you. We are but managers. We are but stewards. And so we pray for a heart of stewardship about us, that we would be faithful in everything we do, that we would be generous in all things so that we might see your hand of provision. Lord, we know you are faithful. May we be faithful to respond to you with radical generosity in every area of our life. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.